Welcome. I'm Liz Hirschnoff-Tolley, and I want to welcome you to Capital Coffee Connection. And our goal for this podcast is to basically speak with amazing elected leaders, uh, not about politics or policy, but really about the heart, the humanity, the home from where they come. And I'm not a politician, and I'm not a journalist, but I have had the opportunity to get to know politicians and elected leaders and to really understand that they're these amazing people. There's so much that gets lost and so many people say, oh, he's just a politician, oh, she's just a politician. And the goal really of this podcast is to really hear stories, have some fun, laugh a little, but also really to get to know who our um, leaders are. So I've been thinking about laughter and one of the things that I, I keep coming back to is like that expression that we used to hear or we still hear, laughter is the best medicine. And, uh, you know, I learned that actually that phrase comes from the Bible and it comes from the Proverbs 17:22, And it says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And so what I thought about was that for so long, we have understood that people feel good when they laugh, but now we really understand that it's actually sets off endorphins. It's actually good for the immunity systems. And that people who are suffering can actually improve their health with just laughter. So um, I, I bring this up because today I'm having a conversation with Congressman Ted Lieu, who we all know is a serious and a pragmatic and a very thoughtful leader. Um, but I also know through pieces that we all see that he has a really good sense of humor. Congressman Liu represents a lot of Southern California's coastline, goes from Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, all the way down to Palos Verdes. So it's an interesting uh, section of the state, of this, of this region that uh, he works with. He and his wife, Betty, live in Torrance, California. Uh, they have two sons. And... Um, Congressman Liu has been in the U.S. Air Force. He has um, been in Congress. He has been in local politics. But as I said today, we're really here now to talk about who he is. Um, and one of the things that I also thought was just very interesting because of perspective is that you are one of two uh, Taiwanese-American in the Congress. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, cool. So I want to thank you and welcome you for Capital Coffee Connection and enjoy our, our coffee together. Um, and welcome. I am so happy that you're here, and I hope that uh, we'll be able to have a really good conversation. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Good, good. So we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back into the beginning of TED time. Um, and you and your parents immigrated here, actually to Cleveland, Ohio, from Taiwan. And... I thought it was really a nice place to start, which is to kind of understand, we can read and many of us have read, that's where you came from and that was your beginning, but you were a little, you were a toddler and you're, you were living very much close with your family and everybody was together. And I just wonder, like, as you look back and you reflect upon your childhood, what did that mean to be an immigrant? And what did that mean to have that closeness of family um, as part of the beginning of your life? Family was my life and still is my life, and we were a very close-knit family. We happened to have grown up in a community that was largely uh, Polish and Italian, and so growing up, I thought everyone was Catholic. 
until I went to college, <laughs> and I realized that that wasn't the case. Uh, but it was a interesting time. Uh, you had a lot of change happening in America. We would every now and then uh, get enormous acts of kindness. So my neighbors would every Christmas bring over kielbasa with you know sauerkraut and sausage, and I would play with the kids outdoors uh, with our doors unlocked, and it was. Uh, good time uh, for most of the time, but every now and then we would also experience acts of discrimination. And I, I guess like as a young person, what did that feel like when you were maybe on the playground or you were just treated badly because of how you looked or from where you yeah. came? So nothing overtly violent uh, happened uh, to me, but folks would call me chink, uh, they would sometimes throw eggs at our house. One day our tires had been slashed. And so it was a feeling that I wasn't part of the community, that we were not part uh, of uh, the folks who were there. And so that was not a great feeling. No. Um, and then when I went to college, it's like, oh, no one cares how you dress or what you look like or what your race or religion is. And I think college was uh, something that did transform me, and it opened my eyes to a lot more things. But do you think that, like, being growing up in that situation, first you had your family, which together was beautiful and powerful, but do you think that gave you an extra resilience to be able to understand that people can say mean things, but it doesn't have to penetrate inside your skin? So what's interesting is, is growing up as a kid, sometimes you don't sort of realize exactly what is happening. Right. And I remember one day... Uh, this cop came to our house and uh, he asked if he could enter. He was essentially searching for a wild duck because he got a call, for, I guess, from one of our neighbors saying we were somehow stealing wild ducks and eating them. And first of all, I don't even know how we would catch a wild duck. It's sort of hard. Um, but ducks did sort of fly around where yeah, yeah. we were. And it wasn't until later I thought, and I realized that that was pretty racist. Uh, that yeah. was uh, just something that a normal American family wouldn't experience. But as a kid, you don't know, and this cop is there, and of course you let the cop in because that's what you're supposed to do as a kid. And my mom was there, and the cop went all around our house searching essentially for a wild duck. And it just occurred to me that, wow, that was something that I didn't even realize at the time that it was uh, quite racist. Yeah, that's a it's, a, it's an interesting story, and it's a terrible story, but it's actually one that does to serve to us, which is that there was really racism. There still is, but there was, and I still kind of go to that place where you you had to have developed a tough skin because you, you have to be able to understand that that's going to be something that you're going to face, but it should not stop you from what you need to accomplish in your life or want to. Uh, that's correct, and I don't want to make it sound like we're experiencing discrimination all the time. It was no, a, a minority of the time. Yeah. Most of the time, people were nice and yeah. kind, and I had a lot of fun with my friends and, and so on. But you did learn uh, that when those acts of discrimination would happen, that it would remind you that you were not part of the community. That was just a, a deeply unsettling feeling when, yeah. when those cases would arise. I understand. And so your parents basically, from the way I look at it now in hindsight, they started to work in the flea market. They sold whatever they could sell. And through that, they opened up stores. 
But it was really a family venture because you and your brother were working from an early age. Um, and could you talk a little bit about like what it was, like what kind of jobs you had in terms of supporting them? And, and, and how does this sort of fit into the idea of the American dream? So I learned a lot of um, things about random stuff, like Jade. I could tell you all sorts of things about Jade or about uh, their uh, vases we would sell or their music boxes. Uh, and so we had a gift and jewelry store, okay. and I would uh, help watch the store and help sell uh, these items. And I learned to operate a cash register uh, at a very early age. My favorite experience was when we would get breaks. And so I would um, run to the arcade uh, and put a Whatever change in you had. And uh, yes, and then figure out the arcade games I could play for a very long time on one quarter and, and play those games. Uh, sometimes uh, I would get longer breaks and my parents uh, would let me watch a, a movie at the cinema. And um, then I'd come back and watch the store. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a nice balance. So tell me this. Um, if you, did your parents give you words of wisdom that you live by? Things that maybe perhaps they um, imparted to you and your brother? My dad did tell me never uh, to do drugs. Yeah. Uh, and he also said that if you're uh, ever stopped by a policeman, you do exactly what a policeman tells you to do because the policeman has a gun and you don't. And he always encouraged me to uh, basically try my hardest, but it's okay uh, if I don't become number one at whatever it is I'm trying to do. And, and then you became number one at everything you tried to do. So he was right. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I just try my hardest. I know. Yeah. I know. And talk about school. Did you have a favorite teacher or a favorite class or a teacher that was there for you in a yeah. beautiful way? Because I think that part of all of our foundation is remembering and re really reflecting upon these teachers that inspired us. So my uh, government teacher in high school, uh, Mr. Howard, uh, was an amazing teacher. And I uh, learned a lot about uh, U.S. government, and it got me interested as yeah. well in U.S. government, and I remember during the January 6th insurrection, because um, weird things sort of happen when you get stressed, and we were uh, basically in our offices because they wanted most members of Congress not to be on the House floor because it was in the middle of a pandemic, right? And so they wanted us, unless we were going to speak, to be in our offices. So we're, we're watching the proceedings about 20 minutes later loud knocking starts happening on a hallway. And I asked my chief of staff, it was just me and my chief of staff, I said, what is that? And he goes, I don't know. And so the knocking gets louder and eventually it comes to our door and we open the door and a Cal police officer comes in and says, you need to evacuate now. So we do that and we go down six flights of stairs to the tunnels, go to the next building over mm -hmm. where he says it's safe. And once we're in the next building where the cow police say it's safe. I did two things. I called my wife, told her what was happening. Right. To the best that I yeah. could figure out. Because I started looking at my phone, I realized, oh, the Capitol is getting attacked. And then the next call I placed was to my government teacher from high school who I hadn't spoken to in over 30 years. First time I talked to him, wow. actually, after graduating. 
And I basically said, uh, this isn't what you taught me uh, in high school. And we had this lovely conversation. And thinking back, I thought that was sort of odd that I would place that phone call uh, to my teacher who I hadn't actually spoken to. Um, but I had his phone number from yeah. a friend. And um, it was something that I just thought was strange in hindsight. But at the time, it made perfect sense that, oh, I'm going to call him and tell him this is not what he taught me. I will tell you, I find that to be just beautiful. It gives me the chills a bit because it's like in that moment of panic, you actually tried to reach out to somebody who actually was there for you in a calming time um, and not somebody that was hyped up. It had nothing to do with politics, had nothing to do with, you know, who you are now. But I think that there's something about that comfort. Um, and obviously this teacher really gave you a foundation and a support. And whether whatever your words were, you needed to hear his voice. So I think it's actually yeah. beautiful. Yeah, well, thank you. That would yeah. make sense. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a little because you went to Stanford. Then you joined the U.S. Air Force, which you were in for 26 years. I was active duty a little over four years. Right. And I stayed in the reserves a little over 21 years. Which is pretty impressive. Um, can you talk just a little bit about what, what Stanford gave you as a person and then what the Air Force gave you as a person, because they they sort of reflect your transition from high school to then yeah. your political or your person or your your adult yeah. life. Uh, so college was amazing because I came from a community again where I thought everyone was Catholic, uh, and then not only that, but college just because of how many people were there. Yeah, you could find um, folks that uh, you could hang out with that to me just really didn't care about how you looked, how you dressed, what your race was, where you came from. And that was um, something I really enjoyed, that I could have a group of friends that we would just interact with um, because they were cool people. And they liked you for you. That is exactly right. They, yeah. they liked me for me. And uh, it was an amazing experience. And uh, my only sadness about it is it was only four years. <laughs> yeah, I understand. And talk a little bit about the Air Force. Oh, I love serving in the Air Force. I remember my uh, first main assignment was at Anderson Air Force Base in Guam. And we had Operation Pacific Haven, which essentially we extracted thousands of Kurds from northern Iraq because Saddam Hussein was going to go in and slaughter them. Yeah. We um, flew them to Guam. And I remember watching the Kurds depart from these planes. They were basically carrying everything they had. So yeah. they would wear seven layers of clothes. It was like 95 degrees, yeah. really humid. And we would put them into whatever housing facilities we could find on base, and we set up some housing facilities for them. I was essentially uh, made the executive officer to uh, their commander of sort of this Kurdish area that we set up. And we would deal with all sorts of interesting issues. Uh, they, uh, for example, some that were in base housing and uh, they would you know, put food in the dryer to warm it up and we'd tell them that's not what the dryer is for. Um, they would use their, you know, the, the pan and the broom that you're supposed to use, they would use that pan to cook. And like, you can't do that. It's sort of toxic. Yeah. Uh, so there's just some basic, they hadn't had a lot of experience with just Western appliances and Western things. 
they didn't understand how money came out of a wall with an ATM. Yeah. And so a lot of it was just some basic education. And um, it was a fascinating experience, though, because what we did is we essentially vetted these Kurdish refugees to make sure they weren't Saddam loyalists yeah. or spies. And then we sent most of them to the United States. And I was thinking not many countries would have done this because if Saddam Hussein went in and slaughtered them, maybe folks in the U.S. might have known. It would have been at most a one-day international story. But we did that because they helped the U.S. And we expended our treasure and risk our personnel to help them. Yeah. And to this day, the Kurds are one of America's strongest allies. Yes, they are. Yeah, it's a beautiful story and probably a very meaningful part of your service. Yes, because I realized then that that was something most of my colleagues were not doing or ever would do. Yeah. And so it was, uh, at that time, the most successful humanitarian operation the Department of Defense had engaged in. Um, and then I, I did court martials as well, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> okay, good. You had a little balance in there. Right. Your family. You have a beautiful wife who is very supportive, but is also a powerful you know, leader on her own. And I know she's been involved in local and state politics here in California. Um, and you have two sons. They're grown up and 17 and 20, so they're big kids now. Um, but I would love to understand how you have found to balance the time between all of your work in the public arena and being there with to support your wife and to support your boys and how what kind of things you as a family have done together to kind of keep making sure what's important is that you remember to be together. I definitely married up. Yes, you did. I'm very lucky uh, that Betty is my wife. Yes. Uh, we do have two lightly supervised kids. Uh, they are amazing and, and awesome, and none of them want anything to do with politics, which I think is great. Yeah. Uh, I do try to take them to events if I could. And then I, I realized after a while how warped their views are because of that. Because so, you're the person taking them. Yeah. Yes, and also the events they went to. So I remember uh, one day, this is when uh, my kids were still in elementary school. We would go to the Torrance Armed Forces Day Parade, which actually is the longest running Armed Forces Day Parade in the nation. Mm -hmm. And they would sit with me uh, in the car going down the parade route. And I remember one Thanksgiving, we're watching the Macy's day parade on TV in New right. York. And I said to uh, Brennan at the time, who was in grade school, I said, hey, do you want to go to New York and watch that parade at some point? And he looks at me and says, no, I want to ride in it. And I just, it just occurred to me that that is his view, that he That's gets to ride a parade. That's what he thinks you do when you go to a parade? That's You're right. You're automatically in it. <laughs> right. That's great. Uh, so I do try to take them to, to various events if I could. And what do you do as a family that's quiet, that's out of the public eye? That's safe to share with Oh, us. I, I love uh, having uh, any dinner with my family and just talk about the different experiences my kids are having or, or my wife uh, from her school board to uh, the other activities that she does in the community. I, we, we do love movies. We do like watching movies. We do like traveling. And so I like to take them to places that are nowhere like Southern California. Yeah. Uh, so I've taken them to the South. Uh, we went to uh, Georgia, for example, and went to Savannah, which Good. is a beautiful city. And I really like praline pecans. And so <laughs> okay, that's a good that. I like sweet things uh, yeah, yeah. in general. Um, the world of Coke uh, and 
I've taken them to various national parks, uh, and so I do like to show them uh, how beautiful America is. Yeah, it's truly, it is a beautiful country. We have really beautiful, and so much diversity within just the nature and the venues, not to mention obviously the people, but there we have everything here. That's right. You know? Um, and sometimes you forget that you fly over, but there's a lot of stuff to see down below. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the importance of, I understand that Betty is, you married up, which we agree, and she's amazing, but also just the fact that she is there to support what you do. And what you do is travel a lot. You're out of the house a lot. You weren't there, and maybe in time, obviously in quality, you were there as a father, but not always able to give the time because you've been, it's now eight years that you've been in the house? Uh, Nine years. Nine years. So nine years that were important years, like, what does it mean to have a, a wife, a, a partner who is that supportive and is really there to support what your passions are? I would never wish on a spouse uh, that uh, their hu- husband or wife is a member of Congress. Uh, okay. It is not a normal life. You're away from your family quite a bit. And when I'm thousands of miles away in D.C., Betty is a single mom. Yeah. And she has to um, make sure that uh, the kids are all right. She has to uh, make sure everything is not going to disaster. And yeah. uh, it is something that I um, don't take for granted. And I just wish that I didn't have to travel so far away uh, from my yeah. work. Yeah. Um, what's the worst advice you ever received? and the best advice you ever received? You could either one first or just one if you can't think of the other, but the worst advice and the best advice. I think the best advice, and it's sort of cliche, but I sort of have expounded upon it, which is uh, basically you only live once. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, that's true, which to me means that whatever dream it is you have, you have to pursue it in this lifetime because yeah. there's no other lifetime in which you do it. True. And so I'm very lucky I was able to pursue my dream and that I have a family that is supportive uh, of that. Who in your life has been your biggest cheerleader? My parents yeah. and my wife, yeah. my family, yeah. basically. Uh, they um, support me through thick and thin. Through thick and thin, which is very lovely. Um, favorite kind of music? What kind of bands? What kind of music do you like to listen yeah. to? My music appreciation is stuck in the 1980s. Okay. Uh, so I like um, Blondie. Okay. Berlin. Yeah. Pat Benatar. They don't all start with B's. Um, Duran Duran. Okay, good. Um, so I remember actually going with um, Betty recently actually not recently, it was before the pandemic, uh, to a Def Leppard concert. She loves Def Leppard. And the coolest thing to me while we were there is I was like, oh, most people are somewhat older than me. <laughs> they know that's a very high. <laughs> it feels good when you're not the grandparent at the event. Exactly. Right. Um, hobbies. So I know you're busy, but do you have hobbies that you did or that you currently do that are just interesting to you? I love reading science fiction. Okay. Uh, so I uh, grew up reading Isaac Asimov uh, and Frank Herbert and would read these 
classics like Dune and, and so on. And now I transition to basically short science fiction stories because because you got to um, finish them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is going to be a hard one. What is your favorite household chore? Washing dishes. Why? It's sort of mindless. Yeah. And um, I feel like I've accomplished something. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I finish it. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Because sometimes you just want your mind to not think about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was looking up Taiwanese, Chinese proverbs because I just was trying to, like, learn about where you come from a little bit. Um, and I read one, and I think this sort of represents who you are. It says, a drop of water shall be returned with a burst of spring. Oh, I like that. And, and that's a, I think that's a lot Ted Lu. Because I think that what you do, you, you may be a drop of water, but you actually a burst of spring. And the funny part was I wasn't sure if it was spring, meaning the flowers are blooming, or spring of water that flows even bigger. I, oh. I, I read it both ways, and I just thought, but that's a little bit about who you are. Do you, do you buy into that? I, I love that proverb. Thanks yeah. for sharing it. I'm yeah. going to remember it. By the way, my name, a little translation, uh, is Cloud of Peace. Lu. Liu Yingping is my is, is, Chinese it, name. And it means? Yeah. Uh, so uh, so Lu is my family name. Yingping is my given name. And that means cloud of peace. Cloud of peace. Yeah. Wow, your parents foresaw what you would be. I now am going to switch to this part where we play this game. It's called Kiss, Mary Trash. Some know it as kiss, marry, kill, but we don't kill here. Um, but it's basically where I'm going to give you three things. They're softballs. They're easy. And I'd love for you to expand upon what you would kiss, what you would marry, and what you would trash. Three okay. things. Right. Now, you can also you can give some information on why you have those things. Right. You can pass if it's not, you know, doesn't work. Like, but Can I kiss all three or I have to do one? Well, each? you could, but that would be, um, that would be your choice. Okay. We're not here you to tell it. you what to do. The, <laughs> the goals is this, but you do what you need to do. And... Kissing everything could be probably beneficial if you don't like, you know, to put anything down. Got it. Okay, but the, they're easy ones. Uh, the seasons, summer, spring, winter. I would kiss winter. Okay. I, I grew up in Ohio. I, I loved snow days. Okay. And at that time, when there was a big snow, you would then immediately go to the TV and see if your school was listed on one of those scrolling things. that. And you were so happy when you so saw your school? I was so your school listed. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, you don't have to go to school the next day. Yeah. And um, I love playing in the snow. And then something happened after I served active duty in Guam. My blood must have thinned out, and now I get cold. <laughs> I still love winter. I just have yeah. to wear lots of layers of clothing now. Okay. So you would kiss winter. No, you would marry winter? Oh, kiss winter. Kiss winter and summer and spring? Uh, they're both okay. They're both okay. Yeah. Okay, now, you kiss, marry, or trash. Netflix, reading, meditating. I would uh, marry reading. Okay. Uh, I love reading. So I just f finished reading Candy House, which is quite an amazing novel that I do enjoy. And so I'll try to read all sorts of different books and novels right. on these plane flights. And Netflix, how's that? Does that rank up there in anything? Meditation? I 
have not really tried meditating, okay. so I've heard there's good benefits, so I think I should try that. Okay. I do enjoy Netflix. I think streaming services have provided a huge diversity of different kinds of content. Okay, kiss, marry, kill. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. I would uh, kiss breakfast. Okay. Probably trash lunch if I could and just have two meals a day. Right. Breakfast and then I think I kiss dinner too. Okay, cool. Um, In terms of uh, movies, comedy, romantic, thriller. I think I like thriller. So you're very thriller. Yes. I would kiss romantic. Okay. I think I kiss comedy too. But you're my fav- so good at this because you just are going to make everything kind of work. You yeah. have an open attitude for a lot of it. Sports, pickleball, tennis, golf. I would I would trash golf. Uh, okay, trash golf. Uh, pickleball, I haven't tried. Uh, so uh, I played tennis before. So uh, I think that's something I'll, maybe I'll, I'll kiss it and try it. Okay. okay, so we're kind of a closing. And one of the questions I've asked everybody is about joy. We're living in times when there's a lot of heavy stuff. There's a lot of influences. And, and one of the things that carries you through any piece is joy in your life. And you talked about it with your family. But I, I would love to get a little more information or a little more thought of really what brings you joy, maybe besides your family, like things that you personally derive joy from. It can include your family. But like also... Then what does that mean in terms of what you can give of your joy? Because I do believe that joy is something that if we pass, if we feel joy, we share that with others. So one thing that I uh, do every now and then on social media is I watch these videos uh, that sort of show uh, folks sort of doing things that you wouldn't normally sort of expect. Right. Uh, so, for example, uh, I remember watching this video of there was this um, baseball game and actually it could have been softball. And so the person hit the ball um, and it was essentially um, a, a home run. And But when the person ran, I think the person sort of twisted an ankle and couldn't run anymore. So the opposing team literally carried that person to home plate. Aww. That was pretty cool to watch. That's joyful. Uh, or you'll see these videos. Uh, there was this one video of uh, these folks who were running a race. It was a very long race. And towards the end, the front runner had just inwardly made a wrong turn and then sort of discovered it later and came back, and so the person who was second was about to cross the finish line and just stopped and let the f- person catch up and beat him. Mm-hmm. And when I asked later, why did you do that? He said, well, he was going to win anyways, and he just didn't seem, was fa- didn't seem fair. And so right. when you see things like that, it, it, it at least tells me that you know, humanity is still basically decent and good. In your daily life, what does bring you joy? Oh, so my my family yeah. does, my extended family. And I do still realize what an amazing country that we live in. Yeah. Um, and to know that most people are kind and caring 
and they're living their daily lives trying the best that they, they can. can be and to just be a part of uh, this experiment of democracy in America. I do want to um, close with, with uh, some words of hope. Uh, and I remember I was talking to this uh, CEO of a startup company in my district. He was making some chip uh, for artificial intelligence applications okay. that's faster. And so we're talking, and at some point I said, so how much faster is your chip? And it was 50,000 times. I was like, whoa. And then it got me thinking, because he was an immigrant. I thought, would he have, you know, waken up one day and said, you know, I want to go to Moscow and do this. Or I want to go to Beijing, you know, where they can kidnap you if you, you know, get too powerful or say something bad about the government. No. He came to Southern California, came to America, because he knew that we have amazing intellectual property laws, we have the rule of law, we have amazing talent, and we will let you execute your idea uh, and to um, help the world. Right. And so I think we still have an amazing country, an amazing system, and it's just a blessing to be able to live here. And on that, we're going to end. I agree it's a blessing to live here, and I think we are all blessed to be here. Yes. Um, thank you. Sure. And thank you for sharing. And uh, thank you for what you do for so many people each and every day. Mm -hmm.